0: Well, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 17, page 1245 on the Pew Bible in front of you. So if you don't have a copy of God's Word, just grab that hardback Bible in front, open up to page 1245. We are going to back up a little bit and go back into our Lean In series and look at John 17. But, you know, this journey through the Gospel of John is, it's been a journey, hasn't it? It's hard to, to, to get your thoughts around uh, the Gospel of John. It's so rich and so wonderful. And, um, you know, no matter how slowly we're moving through it, I still always feel like we're moving too swiftly. Here's a good way to think about the Gospel of John. My favorite quote regarding this Gospel Augustine said this, I think we'll have this on the screen. John's Gospel is deep enough for an elephant to swim and shallow enough for a child not to drown. That's uh, my favorite quote on John's Gospel. Because you can just be lost in the depth and the splendor of it, but at the same time, a child can understand it. What a blessing it is. And When you get to John 17, this is that special place in Scripture where we get to lean in. Maybe way, way in. And we get, to, we get to hear the Lord Jesus have an intimate conversation with the Father. And we get this rare opportunity to, to really see what the heart of God is for us as His people and for the world and for the mission that is at hand. And it's really just a wonderful, wonderful place. So let's pray and ask God to help us and then we'll... Look at John 17. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this amazing gift that you've given us, your word. And Lord, we are humbled this morning knowing and realizing that this is not just a book of words, but this is your word that you breathed out. It's perfect and inerrant in every way. And we receive it as a gift that is meant to speak to us. It is intended for us. It is is relevant in our lives at this very moment. And you, Lord, have ordained that we would be here in this time, this day, to hear this word for your glory. And so, Lord, let nothing hinder what you have planned for us today, we pray. Give us ears to hear that we might receive your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you have your listening guide, you can pull that out. And you can... Go to number one. Number one is the Father is working. The Father is working. Now we'll just backtrack a little bit. I'm going to be all over John 17, but we'll begin reading in verse 1 and you'll be able to see the, the intentionality of God the Father in these first verses. So try to take note. I'll try to emphasize some things to you, but try to take note as we read. John 17, beginning in verse 1, Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up His eyes to heaven and He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that Your Son may glorify You as You have given Him authority over all flesh that He should give eternal life to as many as You have sent or given Him. And this is eternal life that they may know You the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which You have given Me are from You. So you see the Father is working. And you see how intentional He is in His work. And you see how connected to the Father's work the Lord Jesus is. And so, when we as a church give ourselves to His plan, because clearly this God has a plan. We will accomplish His purpose of filling the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. There's a plan that is being laid out before us. And when you think about God's plan, what is God's plan? Why did what what is the Father doing? What is he? Why is he so intentional in his work? And what is this conversation between him and the Son all about? Well, we can all sort of get our head around maybe just the the global picture, the 7.4 billion people that call this earth home, we might even draw our attention to the approximately 1.5 billion people that have never heard the gospel, don't know who Jesus is, have no clue uh, of any part of the gospel. And not only that, if they were to, if they had a desire in their heart to read the gospel, they would have to learn a new language because there is no gospel available in their language. So there's clearly still much, much work to be done. But Jesus has providentially been working on behalf of the plan for which He's been sent. And we are part of this whole equation. You know, if you think about a God who is working, and a God who is sovereign, and a God who is intentional, would that God just randomly place people where they are? Or would we conclude that God has intentionally placed us where we are? That we were born in the time that we were born, in the place that we were born, for a purpose, for a reason. That there's a reason why we're here now in this place at this time. And as I think about not just the world in which we live in, but the community in which we live in. I think about the fact that in Harrison County, there's just over 200,000 people. Gulfport, the city of Gulfport, is just over 70,000 people. Gulfport is about 50% larger than Biloxi in population. But really, when you start thinking about specific things about this specific place in which we find ourselves, maybe even this, the city of Gulfport in relation to the state of Mississippi, for example, do you know that Mississippi has the highest per capita number of churches in the United States? We live in one of the most rural and spread out states in the country. But in Gulfport, the population density in Gulfport, where we live in a if you look at a, a, a five mile radius of this building that we're sitting in right now, the population density is 2,000% higher than the average of the state of Mississippi. Now, just think about that for a second. 2,000% higher, not 20% higher, not 80% higher, 2,000% higher. You've heard me talk about before that the, the average church in our state would never even come close to surpassing a hundred people. Not even close. And yet here we are in this place at this time for God's purpose. So what is God's plan? I mean, let's talk about His plan to overcome this hurdle. This hurdle of 7.4 billion people or 1.5 billion people that haven't heard the gospel or the 201,000 people who are in Harrison County who the overwhelming majority of will not even think about walking into a church on any given Sunday morning of any given year of their life. What's his plan? Well, I'll let you in on a little secret we are the plan we're the plan now i don't know if that's shocking information for you this morning i don't know if that i don't know how that makes you feel some of you probably feel a little nervous about that and some of you maybe feel a little excited about that but regardless of how that makes you feel that's the reality and what i want to do is Look at John 17 and sort of unpack that this morning that God has a very specific plan. Jesus was committed wholeheartedly and totally to accomplishing that plan. And we're now the plan. So, number two so the Father's working, the Son is sent. The Son is sent. Look back in John 17 at verse 3. Jesus said, And this is eternal life, that they may know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. Then He goes on to say in the very next verse, I have glorified You on the earth. I have finished the work which You have given Me to do. So He says in the course of two verses, number one, that He's sent, and number two, that He devoted His life to finishing the work for which He was sent for. So Jesus clearly is sent, number one, and number two, He clearly understands that He was sent for a purpose or on a mission by the Father. So the question is, well, what was He sent here to do? Now, if we just stay in the Gospel of John, for example, we could look at John chapter 12, verse 45, where Jesus says, in And he who sees Me sees Him who sent Me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in Me should not abide in darkness. So Jesus says in John chapter 12 that He was sent by the Father and that He comes as a light. Now, what does that mean that He's come as a light? Because a word like light is a word that can be used a lot of different ways. I could use light, for example, by saying that something is not heavy, but it's light. Right? I could also take a match and light something on fire. Some of you even say that, you know, a horsefly could light on your forehead. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that means. But I'm not sure, but I've heard some people say that before. If you grew up north of here, you know, you know exactly what that means. And I think you can correct me if I'm wrong. Can't you light a horse? Is that right? Come on, you know this. Don't act like some of y'all ain't way country. Now you know, I think you can do that. Oh, quiet on. You know you can light a horse. Okay, so light. So Jesus said, so what kind of light does He come as? Well, so I started thinking about light. I started thinking about the definition of light. Um, I found this definition. Light. Electromagnetic radiation to which the Organs of sight react ranging in wavelength from about 400 to 700 nanometers and propagated at a speed of 186,282 miles per second, considered variously as a wave or quantum phenomenon. I think I'm going to light a horse. So we're scratching that definition. So here's my definition of light. Not dark. We're going to roll with that. I don't think Jesus wanted us to get real technical with it. I think that the Gospel is pretty clear. The light He came to bring is not dark. You see, light makes vision possible. Light is the revelation of God. Light is is what enables us to be able to see and see clearly. He came to make it possible for us to know God, to know the truth about God, to be able to connect with God. You see, left to ourselves, apart from the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ, we could have never had a relationship with God, could we? No. We needed help Outside help. We needed help. We couldn't do it on our own. So the Father's working. The Son is sent. And number three, the Son is sending. The Son is sending. Look back at John 17 and now scroll your eyes down to verse 18. Where Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Now, so as we're just following this trail that the Father's working, He's got a very intentional plan, He's busy doing something, the Son is sent, He evidently, the Son knows what the mission is and has devoted Himself to accomplishing it, so much so that when He prays to the Father, He says, Father, I've completed the work which You sent me to do. And we've discovered that Jesus has also said that He came as light and that light makes vision possible, that it reveals God. We know that we could have had no chance of having a relationship with God apart from help, the help of the Lord Jesus to come and to reveal the Father and His plan to us. And then Jesus says that as He was sent, He's also sending them into the world. So the question is, who's the them? And if we just keep reading and look down at verse 20, Jesus answers that because He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word. So clearly He is talking about us. He's talking about His disciples and those who will believe following the mission of the disciples. Now, In the next couple of chapters, like for example, in John chapter 20, look at what Jesus will say in John 20. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So there it is again. I have come as light into the world, and as the Father has sent me, I have sent you. Now, I want you to think with me about something. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount recorded in the Gospel of Matthew? Remember where Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, He says He's talking about a, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And He makes this statement. He says, you are the light of the world. Now wait a minute. Didn't we study where Jesus said He's the light of the world? But He says to His followers, to His disciples, you are the light of the world. Well, is Jesus the light of the world? Yes, He is. But that's an indication of what the Gospel is saying when it says, as the Father sent Me, so I send you. As in the same manner as the Father sent me as light, so I send you as light. Not different, but the same. So we evidently are sent as light. And not only are we the same, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the Bible says, Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? so that as we go, the light is with us and in us, so we're the light, we're the mechanism, we're the vessel. But the same mission that Jesus came to complete is the mission that we've been called to as His followers. And yet, there are people all around us. We are inundated by the reality of so many who suffer and who struggle. The very same struggles and sufferings that we face, but in a very different way. There are people that live around us who get cancer. But they don't know the great physician. There are people who. Live around us. Who work with us. Who have prodigal children. But they don't know the faithful father. There are people. Who live in our community. Who are literally. Being crushed under the weight. And the pressure of their loneliness. Yet they don't know. What it is to be adopted into. The family. There are people all over the place. I don't mean far away. I mean in very close proximity to us. Who face all the things that we face. But they don't face them the way we face them. How many times have we been in a situation... I know you have because I I see you. Not a week passes and you're not just everywhere loving each other and caring for each other and ministering to each other and meeting each other's needs. And so many times you walk away from those situations and you think to yourself, you say even out loud, what would someone do in a situation like this if they didn't know Christ? If they weren't part of a family? And yet the reality is is that we don't need to look far to answer that question because they're all around us. People who are trying to raise their children, they're trying to put one foot in front of the other. They're trying to press through the the natural difficulties that come with just trying to live life in this world and yet they don't know that God loves them they don't know the reality of things that we take for granted sometimes like what the gospel of John says in chapter 3 that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that you see us who believe in him would not perish but have eternal life They don't know what it's like to lay your head down at the end of a hard day. And to know that although things may be difficult and although they can't see a way through it, this isn't their home. And that they have assurance in their heart that they'll one day be with Jesus in heaven. They don't have that assurance. They don't know that. And you see, the Gospel says that whosoever believes in him would not perish which means those who don't believe will perish there's a lot at stake here and so it's not the the son is not that the father didn't send the son as a as a proposal for consideration the son isn't sending for our consideration It's not not something that's negotiable or optional. There's eternity at stake. The difference is life and death. And for people who don't know that Jesus loves them, they don't know that. But we do. But what we need to be reminded of is that God not only loves the world, He loves the people in the world. He loves the people in the world that don't know Him yet. He loves them. And He wants them to know. And that's why He sent light so that they can see Him. So that they can find Him. There's so many people around us. I meet people every day and they need to know. They need to know that God loves them. It's strange how life has a way of reminding you and showing you things that, you know, I guess for me these days, it's usually a reminder that I'm getting older. I, uh, Lisa and I are now thrust back into doing things that we, you know, had basically not done for a decade. And uh, so a lot's changed in a decade. And so I notice now that although there were so many years that I would spend time at the ball field with my kids or coaching my children's sports teams, and then I was away from that for a decade. And now as I sit at the ball field again, I notice things have changed. I noticed that that on our team, there's no, I, I was struck by the fact that there's, there's no nuclear families, as I call it. So all these, you know, you get to know people because you're gathering together and sitting there every night watching practice or watching games and. So you get to figure out who's connected to who and whose kid gets connected to this and that and the other. And so there's all these people. And finally, I looked at Lisa after about, you know, a, a month or so into this thing, and I'm like, I'm totally confused here. We got moms and dads and people, all, I mean, I can't, I don't know who's what. There, there's There's three different sets of parents that are connected to two different children and I mean, who? somebody got divorced and remarried them and then that's their step kid who became this one. And I mean, it's just a big hodgepodge. Everything's crazy. And as I'm sitting there looking at all this going, where's the normal family? I thought, uh-oh. They're looking at me and Lisa going, what's them old people doing with them little kids? <laughs> I said... We're a freak show too. We're right up amongst them. They're all thinking, so what's this story? Which it's a good opportunity to share. That God loves you. He loves you right where you are. He loves you in your brokenness. He loves you in your confusion. He loves you in your, your struggles. He loves you. And they don't know that. And that breaks the heart of God who went to such lengths to send light on the situation. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Well, you can't meditate on that verse for too long because it'll just start to grind away at you. It'll make you start thinking about things that make you a little uncomfortable. Here's what I've been thinking about. Not only does He love them so much that He sent His Son, but He loves them so much that His Son sent us. That there's something inside of us, there's something inside of me that so oftentimes wants to pass the buck. I want to, I wanna push responsibility aside. I I wanna I wanna say, well, you know, that's that's God's work, that's God's responsibility, that's his agenda. The reality is, is that as much as I'm so moment by moment grateful that God sent his son. I have to ask the question, are the people around me grateful that God sent me? And are the people around you grateful that God sent you? Do the people who live in your neighborhood. Do they know that God sent you? Do you think that you chose that house or apartment by some random decision? The people that you work with? Do they know that God has sent you? The people that you encounter, do they know that God sent you? Because He has. And I don't want people to ever... Know me and not know that God sent me. So the Father's working, the Son is sent, the Son is sending, and number four, the pathway is calling. It's calling. Even if it's your first time in the sanctuary, you would be able to see by the walls to my left and to my right, that we are committed to the pathway. That it's something that we've been doing for quite some time. It's just a matter of putting it into uh, a visual picture and giving us a way to relate to what God's calling us to do. But this pathway, it's calling us. I want you to consider how many of you before you were a Christian, before you knew Christ, you knew a Christian? Or, is there anyone in this room who didn't know a single Christian before you knew Christ? Because I don't think there is. Before you knew Christ, you knew a Christian. Because somebody was sent into your life. Somebody began to shine light in your life. There was somebody, before you knew who Jesus was, who was helping you know Jesus. God's sovereign and He can do anything He wants to do, any way He wants to do it with anyone whom He chooses to do it. I believe that with all my heart. But I promise you that He would have certainly had to use some, some way outside of the bounds of any experience that I had in my life if it weren't for my wife. Because I'm here this morning Because I saw Jesus in her and in her family. And you, before you knew Christ, saw Jesus in someone. Someone was sent to you and began to share with you or maybe just live beside you or whatever the case may be. But hundreds upon hundreds of times we've sat in this very room and we've watched video testimonies of How God has moved in people's lives and never once have you ever heard a testimony where somebody said, I didn't know a single Christian, not one. I'd never met one, didn't know one. But I was just living on a deserted island and God saved me. It's possible, but I've never met Him and I've never heard it. And I don't think you have either. You see, because everything begins with a relationship with God. Everything. I mean, nothing's going to happen until we know God. And it's nearly impossible for us to come into a relationship with God unless we know someone who knows God. Light comes into our life and then that light begins to shine and then the Spirit of God begins to open us up to what that light is all about. And once we enter into relationship with God, things start changing. Everything that God desires to do through our lives flows out of relationship. Everything flows out of the relationship that we have with Him. Everything. that There's nothing that's taking Place in your life that's part of what God's plan is to to do through you. Apart from relationship, it's all in relationship. This is why we start the pathway with knowing God, because until you know God, there's nowhere to go. You're not on the pathway. You have to know God. And if you miss this, you miss everything. There are so many people that are trying to walk on a pathway. They're trying, to, they're trying to do things. They're trying to assimilate into community. They're trying to maybe even multiply or be disciples. or, But they're trying to do it apart from relationship with God and it simply won't work. It simply will not work. If you 're here today and if you don't know God, if you don't know that what it's like to be forgiven by God and, and accepted by God and loved by God, then today you'll have an opportunity to respond to that invitation just like every Sunday morning. That opportunity is to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior but to More than that, to to enter into relationship with Him. To know God. To know Him. And then all of the things that He, He has for you will begin to start taking shape in your life once that relationship is formed. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Light the darkness so that you and me could see God and know Him personally. And He did it. But it was Jesus in someone that came into close proximity with you that began to illuminate what you were prior to that blind of. Following Jesus is not just about a relationship with God. There's more steps on the pathway. Because we have a relationship with God, we're then called by God to live out that relationship in fellowship with God's family. That he doesn't, he doesn't call us into relationship with Him alone. He calls us into relationship with Him and in doing so, He immerses us or adopts us into relationship with His family. And that is His purpose. And there's no other way around it. You can't make up your own steps along the pathway. They just are what they are because that's what the Gospel lays them out to be. You know, I don't go to church because I have to. I'm not involved in small group because I have to. No. It's... It's because through my relationship with God, I've been given my relationship with you. It's a gift that He gives. Each other. And it started with knowing Him, and when you know Him, you then know His family. It's through our relationship with each other that our relationship with God is then enriched and grown. You see, most of the amazing and wonderful things that God does in our lives, He does in the context of community. Sure, there are things that God does in my life and in many of your lives that are just between you and Him. But even those things are given to you with a responsibility to share them with other people, right? So really, God doesn't do anything in your life or my life apart from community. Everything. Everything about how He grows you. Everything about how He teaches us and molds us and shapes us. And so as we fellowship with each other, as we do life together with one another, as we live in community with each other, We experience life change. But it's not just that. In other words, we're not just a... Again, everywhere on the pathway you can see, I think about the the space between the steps where those little black arrows are. Those represent opportunities to, to get detoured. Because so oftentimes, believers come into relationship and know God. And then move into community. But then what happens is the community becomes a holy huddle. It becomes a huddle for the sake of what? Huddling. Is that what we're to do? Do we just come into community and just circle up the wagons and huddle amongst each other? Well, no. In other words, this God who is actively working, who is very intentional about what He's doing, this God who was so specific in communicating it to the Son, and the Son was so specific in accomplishing it, and then communicating it to those whom He sent. Do you think that that God in that situation, in those circumstances, does it make any sense to you that we would then come into relationship with Him and then community with one another? And then it would just be... That? That that would be the end of it? Well, no. We're not not this holy huddle. But we've got to continually be asking ourselves questions because trust me, I was talking with the other pastors about this this past week about there's this gravitational pull that's always trying to pull us away from what we are called to do. That if we're not constantly being reminded and challenged, our community will become just about us and we'll completely lose sight of why we're here. So I ask myself questions all the time. Just constant Reminders about me, and about you, and about us, one of the questions I continually ask myself over and over in my head is what am I doing with that which has been entrusted to me? What am I doing with what's been entrusted to me? Because that's a question that will, will, will keep us alert. It will keep us tuned in. It will keep us aware because people who have relegated their lives their christianity to huddling don't ask that question or they simply say well we just what they do is they're just regurgitating it around and around in circles it just it never leaves the huddle so they might answer the question by saying well what i'm doing is i'm i'm sharing it with the people in my huddle But where does it ever go? It's a dead end street. It's a cul-de-sac. It won't work. It, it, It can't be the will of God. So we're reminded in our community that God's called us to to make disciples. And that as we come to know Him, and as we move into community and are adopted into God's family, that as we're in community, the purpose of what's happening in that community is a process called multiplication. And here's the thing. It's right here in John 17. Jesus is spelling out the mission that's before us and all of the the, the steps along the pathway. He says in verse 20 of John 17, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word. You see? Now understand something. He's got a huddle right in front of Him. I mean, He's left 11 people circled up in a huddle. He could just... or the 120, He could just have them huddle together. He could just have them Reel it in. Pack it in. He also says, I do not pray for the world. I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but, but in the world. See, we're, clearly Jesus is trying to communicate something to us. Sometimes we get so confused and we think that the gospel message is about isolation from the world. And so what's happened is we've, well, not really us, but the church universal, and especially the church, the Western church, has created these Christian subcultures all over the place. It's kind of a bizarre thing. We have Christian this and Christian that. I mean, there's like a Christian version of everything all over the place. And and if we're not careful, we just Christianize everything and we Christianize ourselves right out of the world. You see, we know that all the evidence is there. All the research proves it. The typical lifelong pew warmer in the United States will never lead a single person to faith in Christ. Not a single person. And will most years of their adult life while they are in church knowing God and in community will never even share their faith with another person. And that the longer that you are a Christian the greater the likelihood is that you are not involved with in any close proximity anyone who doesn't know Christ. That sounds like the opposite mission to me. Shouldn't it be that the longer we walk with God, shouldn't it be that the more we know about Him, the more we understand His character, the more we understand His nature, the more we, we grow in, in our amazing and wonderful relationship with God? Shouldn't it be that we become more outward-reaching? Shouldn't it be that we're more likely to share our faith? More likely to lead someone to Christ? More likely to be light in a dark world? But the opposite is true. That with every passing year, we get darker, not lighter. Maybe that's why Jesus prays what He prays. Listen, how has the the church been lulled to sleep on this issue? The message of the gospel is not a message of isolation. In no way, shape, or form is it a message of isolation. Where that doctrine and theology came from can only be the pit of hell. Hell. It's a message of incarnation. That's what the Gospel message is. It's a message of incarnation. God didn't stand outside of the world and say, well, here I am. If you want to know me, come and find me. Is that what He did? Did He isolate Himself and say, well, good luck? Or did He incarnate Himself? Did He enter into? You see, God came to us He became one of us. And He dwelt with us. It's incarnation. It's not isolation. It's infiltration. See, following Jesus, it's about a relationship with God that grows into our relationship with others that then moves into and multiplies into relationships with people who don't know God. That's what it does. It multiplies into others to make them people who are going out and being light in the darkness to which we were called to go into. So we need to be reminded this morning. God invited you into relationship with Him because He loves you. Yes. That's true. Next slide. He invited you into relationship with Himself because He loves you. But He also invited you into relationship with Himself because He loves the people around you. He loves the people in your neighborhood. He loves the people in your county. He loves the people in your city. And I don't know exactly, but I... I, I'm pretty sure that I I can stand on pretty solid ground and I can say the God of the Bible who I feel like I know pretty well. I feel like I have a good grasp on on who He is based upon the revelation of Him through His Word. And what I see in Scripture is a God who always does everything with purpose. Who never does anything for nothing. Nothing. And so if that's the case, if this God is intentional, if this God is thoughtful in what He does and how He does it and who He does it with, then I'm just simply asking a question. Of all the times in all of history that you could have been born, in all the places in all the world that you could have been born into, in all the specific circumstances that were all a possibility to God when He conceived of you and, and knit you together in your mother's womb of the billions upon billions of choices that were before Him, He chose to put you and me here now in this place at this time. And even if... It was that we were going to be born in this time, in this country. He put us in this state, and not just in this state, but in this city. He put you in a city where the population density is 2,000% higher than the average of everywhere else in the state. Did He just accidentally do that? Or... Did He put us where we are and call us to what He called us to and equip us to accomplish what He's called us to? We don't need any resources outside of this room. They're all right here. We're here because He put us here to do something. To be reminded that it's not about us. That we are who we are and we are where we are. Because God's got a plan. He's got a work for us to accomplish. So if the only way we're going to know Him Is through someone. Then it doesn't take us long to figure out that the only way the people who don't know him are gonna know him is through someone. And I'm pretty sure you know where the next statement's coming. Guess who the someone is? It's us. It's us. So the father's working, the son is sent, the son is sending. The pathway is calling. And number five. Are His people willing? Are His people willing? John 17 verse 4. Jesus said, I've glorified You on the earth. I've finished the work which You've given Me to do. He finished it. I've thought a lot about this. We've talked a lot about this. And I'm still mining things out of it. Finished. Well, how is it finished? Because clearly the world is not reached when Jesus says this. I mean, Jesus ascends back to heaven and leaves behind 120 followers. That doesn't sound finished to me. But you have to think. He finished the work that the Father sent Him to do. And that 120 people then took the baton from Christ. And somewhere down the generations... We held out our hand. And someone put the baton in our hand. And it's now our race to run. And we will at some point. Pass the baton to someone else. So I was thinking about. I was thinking about these 120 people. I was thinking about these 11. I was just pouring over John 17 when. When. Jesus prays for them and then He prays for us. and This is what I came up with. Jesus made God known to people who He called to make God known. That's the work He finished. He came and made God known to people who were called to make God known. So our job is to make God known to people who will then make God known. Which is exactly what the pathway is. In John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in Me, now look closely at what this says, he who believes in Me, the works that I do, he will do also. What? Now we know it's true because Jesus said it. We know it's true. It's in the Bible. But wow. That's not the experience I see when I look around the church universal today. Mm -mm. I say, Lord, we believe in You. Make us a people that do the works that you do. Make us as much like you as you you can make us. Make us a people that everywhere in the 200 and some odd thousand people in Harrison County, that everywhere there's a group or, or a place of brokenness, there's a person of peace from this fellowship. Make us light. Remind us that we're not living for ourselves. That the joy and the excitement and the adventure is to live the purpose for which God created us and saved us and brought us into relationship with Him for in the first place. I told you most of the things that I'm reminded of these days revolve around the recognition that I'm getting older. And as I get older, I start feeling time passing through my hourglass. And the realization that I don't have time to waste even though I never did. But it just becomes more real. And more urgent. I see Jesus in Luke chapter 10. Looking out across the broken humanity. And as He is sending the 70 out into that brokenness and equipping them to go and be light and to serve and and heal and minister. But as He looks out into the broken sea of humanity, He doesn't pray for the broken people. He doesn't pray for those out there laboring in darkness. He tells his followers to pray for themselves that they would be what he's called them to be. Look at this verse in Luke 10, verse 2. Jesus said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Think about that. He doesn't say, Dear God, look at the brokenness out there. Shed light upon their dark hearts. Help them to see, Lord, the reality that's before them. Why? Because He knows the solution. The solution is not the brokenness that's out there or the Father to whom He prays. The solution is the people who stand behind Him who are about to infiltrate the brokenness with the presence of Him within them. That's the solution. David Platt, the president of the International Mission Board, this is what he says about Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Why do you think Jesus would look at the crowds around Him with all their deep needs, and turn to His disciples and tell them to pray for themselves? The answer is humbling. When Jesus looked at the harassed and helpless multitudes, He prayed not that the lost would come to the Father. Instead, His concern was that His followers would not go to the lost. So here's my question how can we be active in the Father's work if we're not active in the places that He's working? We have to be active in the places that He's working. And so as you know, I've spent a great deal of time thinking about where we are as a fellowship and the fact that I don't know that there's ever been a more exciting time to be a part of this fellowship than right now. And I'm grateful to be here now, but I'm also a bit cautious. Because whenever God starts meddling and doing things, it can always be a little unnerving. But you know that Me, the elders, the staff, we all feel 100% confident that God's called us to plant a church. And my full intention was to reveal this to you on Easter Sunday morning, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it. What I want you to know is that I was going to tell you on Easter that Lisa and I be the ones leaving to plant the church. Because it was April Fool's. Because we're really not. I just couldn't do it to you. Today's not April Fool's. And I'm not leaving to plant a church. But we are planting a church. And one of us is. Some of us are leaving to plant a church. And that church will be led by Rod Wallace and Angela and their family. And I think that we suspected that it would probably be Rod because he's the one who has for the longest amount of time been drawn to church planting but we didn't assume that that was God's plan but we're confident now that it is so in case you haven't heard um, there'll be a new fellowship in Harrison County where the density of population is 2,000% higher than the normal place in Mississippi and In a year, maybe a year and a half, something like that, it's not going to be a swift process. It's going to be a slow, methodical process, but a process nonetheless. At some point, we will have a moment in here where we celebrate this new ecclesia, this new church. It will be Rod and Angela and their kids and some of you and some of your kids and your spouse and your people and you'll be part of us and some of you will go for a season to help launch the place and some of you will go and remain there and become part of that place and that place will always be part of us and we'll always be part of that place. So will anything change next Sunday? No. Will anything change five Sundays from now? No. But things will be changing as we begin to move in that direction. And so you've seen for weeks that there's a a church planning meeting this Friday. It probably won't be in the main sanctuary. It'll probably be at 6.30 in the East Sanctuary over there where we can sit at tables. But I hope that you... We'll pray about whether or not God wants you to come. And really it's just for information. We're just trying to share with you what's going on and what we know so far so that you can be involved in the process. And I'll be doing the best I can to weave it into what we're doing in here on Sunday mornings as well. But I envision a time somewhere down the road where there'll be another fellowship that'll be part of us that'll be built on our DNA. And There'll be these amazing... I can't... I just have to imagine things. I can't... It's just the only way I can operate. So I imagine these times when... I imagine when the new church will have its first baptism service. Oh man. I imagine when Rod will come back here and, and preach and I imagine when I'll get to go there and preach and I imagine when we get to celebrate what God's doing through them and they get to celebrate what God's doing through us. and I just imagine that there's going to be people who today suffer the same things we suffer, but they don't suffer from the way we suffer. And so for months now, we just, I don't even drive through Gulfport the same way anymore. I look at the houses and the yards and I I see the the bicycles and the people sitting on their porch and I think they need light. They need light. And yes, there's buildings around that say church on the sign, but they're not there. They need to know God. They need to know His family. They need to know His plan. They need to know His purpose. They need to know the pathway to living what you were created to live for and the joy of dying and going home to where you were always created to be that's what they need and so it's going to take all of us but like every other thing that God calls us to we're not going to lean upon our own ability we're going to focus on our dependence and we're going to let God Do what only God can do. And we'll make sure He gets all the credit and all the glory for whatever happens. So let's stand. We're going to have a time of invitation. Be an opportunity for you to come up to the altar and maybe begin to pray about what God's got before us. Rod's here. Uh, He'll be up here. Angela's here somewhere. She's been serving. She'll be up here. And if you just want to come and maybe just hug them or pray with them, they're not leaving or going anywhere, but it's just an opportunity for us to pray about the mountain before us. But more than that, it's an opportunity for us to respond to God's Word and what He said. It's an opportunity for you to know God. It's an opportunity for us to be reminded to ask ourselves questions. like, What are we doing with that which has been entrusted to us? It's an opportunity. So if you need to know God and have a relationship with Him, now is your opportunity. If you need to follow the Lord and believer's baptism, now is your opportunity. If you want to come and be a part of this family, now is your opportunity. If you just want to come and kneel before your father, thank him for the scary reality that we're the plan. We're the plan. But thank you, Lord. Thank you that you'd entrust that to us.